The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. The Miss America pageant has decided they're doing away with the swimsuit competition. And basically viewership, because that's what it's going to amount to. It's a freaking beauty pageant. They want to steer away from judging on appearance. Again, it's a beauty pageant. So now, if you have a face that looks like you've tried to put out a Sonoma Valley wildfire with a liter of Shiraz and a screwdriver in hand, you too can walk the stage to the tune of, Here she is, Miss America, you know? I mean, speaking of fires, I hear social media is being flooded with videos of tiaras burning by former winners because of this stupidity. And this is where we are today, where businesses that were so insulated from failure. They were no-brainers like the NFL. You could not lose with the NFL. I mean, any competitor would be smacked down like the XFL or they would be eaten up like the, you know, the AFL. It's as though they are, you know, they are foreign. It's, it's as though they're like the foreign tourist that you see at the Orlando, Orlando theme parks, you know, Universal or what have you. The ones that just shoved their way to the entrance of collapse, pushing you out of the way. They're like running over themselves to try to destroy their their business models. It's unbelievable. Miss America, an institution forever in our culture, is being dismantled through virtue signaling, PC culture, and leftist feminism. Basically, everything the progressives touch dissolves like being hit with scalding hot Hawaii lava. They ruin everything. Yeah, let's litter football with awareness and anti-American kneeling. Let's take those swimsuits out of the beauty pageant. Brilliant! Disney needs a princess that had an abortion. When does Elsa come out of the closet as being a lesbian? I mean, seriously? We need to let girls join the Boy Scouts of America. Oh, and we need to pass them out condoms at the Boy Scout Jamboree. That's going to go over well in a confined campground in a pup tent. I mean... Let's make a Star Wars hero like Lando Calrissian, a pansexual in search of his robot's clitoris. Lando wasn't a pansexual. He was a straight-up player. Lando was pouring 40 ounces of Colt 45 all over the hose he had around him in Cloud City, guys. I mean, the left has to place its toxic tentacles on the essence of men. Masculinity. Colleges like Hobart and Williams are having workshops about how masculinity is, quote, problematic for men and women. You know what? I'm going down to Hobart and Williams College, and I'm going to be covered in motor oil, gargling bourbon, smoking a cigar with my shirt off, and I will hold the door for every female going to the anti-masculinity workshop. I will descend upon the campus with both feet on separate vehicles. One on an 84 IROC Camaro and the other on an El Camino like I'm water skiing with a beat-down group of muscle cars. And I will be bringing my Hawaiian Tropic swimsuit model calendars along with me too, gang. Blaring Boston tunes, all right? And I'm going to have a mullet haircut, a Kentucky waterfall, short in front for the mom and long in back for the ladies. But again, the left destroys everything it touches. 
it's what I've always said. Progressives are nothing more than that annoying salesman at the kiosk at the mall, peddling the perfume or that stupid head massager. They're going to chase you into stores, areas that you don't normally go into, but you want to run into to avoid them. Why am I hanging out at Wet Seal? Oh, because some idiot was tapping me on the shoulder and chasing me with his cries of toxic masculinity and death to the patriarchy. Hell, you're even teaching that to five-year-olds in schools, according to campus reform. And they're not even old enough to understand that. So when you walk into a football stadium and they chase you into the rows of seats that you paid good money for with disrespect for the nation that you love and also desecrating the law enforcement officers who are protecting them and you by claiming they're racist, violent thugs while providing protection for the stadium, you know, we turn it off. That's what we do. We walk away. I mean, I started watching a ton of baseball, especially now that my son's into baseball and he's doing really well at the sport, by the way. I mean, it's, it was refreshing to sit there and watch a game. My wife and I were watching quite a few games, and by the time the game was over, I was like, you know what was really nice? There was not one moment where I thought, oh, here comes some political propaganda crap again. We ended up watching a game, and we were like, wow, that was refreshing. I didn't have anything to think about except for the game. So do away with the swimsuits on the Miss America pageant. You're just going to turn everyone off as well. What stupid business sense does it make for you to assassinate your core competencies? I mean, the things that make you the business that you are. But the cause of indoctrination for progressivism is too important that they have to sacrifice ratings. They have to sacrifice revenue, branding, marketing, branding at its altar. But again, this is what gave us Trumpism. In the political arena, our own side was telling us that they were being deployed in order to restore order from this insanity. But then when they arrived, they joined them in the chaos against us. So the voters commissioned the bull in the China shop. And I know people are always tired of hearing, well, this is how you got Trump, but this is basically why people did this. And they voted the way they did. They thought Hillary was going to be the nail in the coffin. And when you have the things that we love and you George Lucas them by taking institutions and tossing in a Jar Jar Binks, You just get angry people that just want to send a battering ram into D.C. And that's why it makes a difference when Donald Trump says, we are going to have everyone return to saying Merry Christmas again at Christmas time. You know why that is? People laughed about that. But the reason why is because Christmas was being dismantled by the left. And he was basically saying in such a way that order is going to be restored. So, I mean... The Jar Jar binking of our holidays and traditions and cultural pastimes has basically put people up to their, you know, eyeballs in frustration. And I'm not endorsing all of it, although I've loved some of the after effects of Trump and Trumpism. I mean, he's given us more than what we would have gotten from Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney. And, you know, I mean, I think arguably the only candidate that would have possibly pulled it off is the person who I supported, which was Ted Cruz. Because for me, the, the issue was constitutionalism. When you had a president like Obama, who basically used all his bureaucratic means to destroy his political enemies, and when he just trampled all over the Constitution, I wanted someone to come in that had constitutional knowledge right at the tip of their brain. That any decision they made didn't require an advisor It required a recall of the Constitution because they were that well-versed in it. That's why I like Ted Cruz. Now, granted, Donald Trump isn't exactly the 
you know, the constitutional scholar, but he seems to have aligned himself with enough people that actually care to make those decisions and advise on those topics. So, you know, I mean, we did shows where he was going, well, maybe we should, you know, take the guns away and then do due process. Yeah, that's that's not how it works in the Constitution there, Donald. But other advisors around him have steered him in the right way. So I'll take what I can get. I don't care. I'll take the wins where we need them. But, you know, the, the left destroys everything it touches. Look what they're doing to California. The beautiful state of California, the Russian River Valley in Sonoma County with the beautiful wine industry. And you've got, you know, the surfing and the California girls are all pretty daggone hot. The progressives have destroyed that place. They have turned it into a nightmare with all of their taxes and all of their policies. I mean, from Fox News, a whopping 46% of California Bay Area residents are fed up with the region's high cost of living and soaring home prices and are planning to pack their bags and move out in the next few years, a poll has found. The poll was conducted by the Bay Area Council, which describes itself as a business-sponsored public policy advocacy organization. Also found that homelessness and heavy traffic are among things that irked residents the most there. The majority of the 1,000 polled said that they have lived in the region for more than 20 years and increasingly believe that life in the Bay Area is heading in the wrong direction, despite mixed feelings about its economy. 45% of those who say that they're planning to leave cited the cost of living as the driving factor, while 27% said housing and rent costs are becoming too much to bear. So that's actually what led to the primary results that we had just this week. You know, we had primaries in California. What we had was there was voter anger over the gas tax in that state. So much so that the Republicans called a recall on a state legislature who basically was put into power and gave the left a supermajority. So they take this guy, um, Josh Newman, and they recalled him. <laughs> and they pulled him out because he was basically allowing the supermajority to back things like a 12 cent per gallon gas tax increase. And it, it pissed everybody off. And it led to the rise of, you know, um, John Cox becoming a solid second place finisher. I mean, which is amazing for the governorship. Basically, Cox is going up against, um, he's going up against Gavin Newsom. And basically where a lot of people were worried that because they take the top two candidates and out of the primaries, and those are the two that are on the ballot. So it could very well have been you would have had two Democrats running against each other to be the governor of California. And most Californians assumed that was going to happen, but it didn't. And Josh, uh, I mean, uh, what, you know, Mr. Cox, basically, John Cox, he is now in line because of the fact that, um, you know, uh, Governor Brown is basically out because of his uh, term being up. They basically picked him and, and the lieutenant, uh, lieutenant um, governor, Gavin Newsom, to be in the running. And so it's going to be interesting because Trump actually gave him a little bit of a boost, believe it or not. Whereas in the past, a lot of things that happened with Trump were, were seen as toxic. You know, a lot of people are starting to see the fruits of some of the things like the tax cut and things of that nature. And they are starting to back Trump. 
and his, appro- his approval numbers are going up. So that being the case, you get somebody like John Cox who gets elevated because of the fact that California policies are so ridiculous that it's squeezing out its people. It's causing homelessness to rise. It's taxing the death out of its citizens. It's making the cost of living unbearable. Housing prices are so ridiculous. People are flooding out of there and heading either to the Pacific Northwest. They're heading out to Austin, Texas. And my fear is that if enough of them go to Austin, Texas, they might be able to make an impact on the elections in Texas and flip that state blue. So we need to bail out (laughs) or California needs to bail itself out by electing shrewd constitutionalists who believe in small government and don't want to spend the death out of us. Now, I'm not from California. I'm actually from Virginia, which I'm going to segue into the next part of the whole uh, show. What I'm seeing is a revival of the Tea Party, believe it or not. Now, the Tea Party, when that happened, you know, they were fed up with government basically ramrodding us. And at the same time, they started rising up knowing, well, we're going to have to get in local races. We're going to have to move in and start primarying these, uh, g- these rhinos, these GOP uh, hacks. And what happened was some of them caught the message early on and decided to shroud themselves in the Tea Party blanket thinking that we wouldn't notice. We had some of that here in Virginia. Scott Rigel, you know, no offense to that guy. I've met him a few times, nice guy. But you know what? He, his, his voting score was like 41 with, uh, with conservative review. So, I mean, that's not really Tea Party-ish, you know? But what I've been hearing is an interesting phenomenon that the Tea Party resurgence could be happening, and a lot of them are blanketing themselves under Trump, which is really bizarre if you think about it. I, I'll get to why I, I came to that conclusion, but from the blaze... Eight years ago, Republican newcomers seized the House majority. They promised tax and spending cuts and vowed to roll back what they called the then-President Barack Obama overreach. That era, the Associated Press reported Sunday, is long gone. So, too, are almost half of the 87 new House Republicans elected to the biggest GOP wave since the 1920s, the report said. Included on the AP list of Tea Party alumni are Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney, who made their way into the executive branch. Others from this group became senators or dropped out of politics. This year, nearly half a dozen or so Tea Party House Republicans are retiring. But that, as that movement fades, a new push comes into view. The control of the House is at stake in this fall's election. About three dozen from the so-called Tea Party movement are seeking re-election, which the report states. The Tea Party movement was marked by, among other things, Yellow don't tread on me flags and anti-Obamacare rallies. What started as a revolt, quote, shows the limits of riding a campaign wave into the reality of governing, according to the AP. Some Republicans took offense to the Tea Party label, especially after it was branded by Obama in the media. In some circles, it also took on crass nicknames like Teabagger. We weren't who you all said we were, Representative Austin Scott from Georgia told the AP. Scott prefers to think of it as a group of small business owners trying to stop the ever-growing federal government. The Republican lawmakers wanted to work with Obama, felt disengaged. We didn't come to take over the country, he said. But they paved the way their own way, and in the process, probably cleared the stage for the rise of Trump. The goals of this so-called Tea Party Republican group 
were outlined in a 21-page pledge to America. The manifesto was drafted by House Republican leadership and listed goals such as stop out-of-control spending, reform Congress, and end economic uncertainty, the report said. They also forced Congress into making drastic spending cuts, in part by threatening to default on the nation's debt, turning a once-routine vote to raise the U.S. borrowing limit into a cudgel during the annual budget fights, the AP reported. The group halted environmental, consumer, and workplace protection rules that rolled back continues even to this day. So what's next? Jenny Beth Martin, co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, told the AP every movement goes through phases, but don't expect the Tea Party to go completely away anytime soon, Martin said. The group plans to elect the next Tea Party 100, members of the House, she said. And it's looking for established politicians to carry out the mission. Senator Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, was also part of the 2010 Tea Party movement. Now a senator, Scott said it's okay if the Tea Party label is now a part of history. Actions, he said, are more important than labels. And that means promises should be made and kept. And here in Virginia, we have primaries next week. And we a couple candidates that you have to consider. First, we have the Senate uh, race that's going up against Tim Kaine. There's E.W. Jackson, which I've talked to a few times. He's a nice guy. He's not, as, not 100% on the conservative uh, prism that I like. He's in the ballpark. Of course, there's Corey Stewart. He ran against Scott Taylor last time, and he's, he's from my perspective, he's just trying to co-opt the Trump brand and not, not to do so as the phenomenon that I'm about to talk about. But we also have a gentleman by the name of Nick Friedis. Here is Nick Friedis on occupational business licensing within the localities of the state of Virginia. What the committee substitute does is it completely removes any of the uh, language we had in there with respect to landscaping architecture. This is now purely a bill which removes hair braiding from uh, the occupation for the requirement to have uh, licensing. And uh, as I said, Mr. Speaker, this one hits a little bit close to home. And I know we're not allowed to do in, in introductions here on the floor for family members, so I'm just going to refer to this as Exhibit A. <laughs> now, as you can see, a very beautiful artistic braid is present here. And, uh, and I, I saw this, oh, this is, this is beautiful, sweetheart. She, she loves to do hair braiding. And then the, uh, the cold hard facts and truth came out about this. It, it turns out, it turns out that... My daughter is someone that we have raised to believe that someone that provides you a service is entitled to just compensation. And so when her friend provided her with a beautiful hair braid, she decided to compensate her friend with a dollar. And that is when her descent into crime began. And, and so, Mr. Speaker, this is typically where I would give some sort of impassioned plea based off of free market principles that occupational licensing can sometimes bar entry to the marketplace and prevent young entrepreneurs from being able to come in, break in, and provide a service that consumers want. But in this case, Mr. Speaker, I just want to save my daughter from a life of crime. And I hope it will be the pleasure of this body to engross this bill and move it on to its third reading, if not for my sake, for Allie's. Now, that's pretty daggone solid. And I'm very familiar with Virginia business licensing as it relates to the Code of Virginia. I mean, health departments for hair braiding, police inspections on taxi cabs. You should have seen how, in things, how insane things got when Uber and Lyft showed up. They didn't know how to contort that business model into the business licensing code requirements. Now, Nick actually came on the scene when he was a state senator and he gave this speech 
He was a delegate for the state of Virginia, and he gave this speech pretty recently around the Parkland uh, shooting so, about gun control. Over the last several days, Mr. Speaker, there's been a lot of discussion about an open and honest debate with respect to school shootings, gun violence, gun control, etc. And an open and honest debate, as I understand it, is one that would rely on data, facts, evidence, analysis, reason, logic, etc., etc. And I'm certainly willing to have that debate. I think if we were going to look seriously at school shootings and gun control, we would analyze things like, why do all mass shootings seem to take place in gun-free zones? Wouldn't it be reasonable to test whether or not the efficacy of gun-free zones have actually achieved what their intended intent is? We'd start to look at most of these shooters come from broken homes. What sort of government policies have actually encouraged broken homes? You can look at left-leaning think tanks like the Brookings Institute that will actually say that some of it can be attributed to various cultural changes that happened in the 60s to include uh, the abortion industry. You can look at a more conservative-leaning organizations that will say that the welfare state contributed significantly to dismantling the family as families became more and more dependent upon the government than they were mothers and fathers in the home raising children. We could look at various status with those areas within the United States and around the world that have strict gun control measures and what their crime rates look like, whether it's Chicago, New York City, Washington, D.C., and others that have incredibly strict gun laws, and yet for some reason it hasn't seemed to stop the gun violence in those particular areas. We can look at the analysis out of uh, 538, which is considered more of a left-of-center data analysis think tank, where you had several analysts now confirm through the data that they were looking at, not just in the United States, but in Canada, Great Britain, and Australia, that they were shocked that the data did not support what they thought gun control measures would actually achieve. We can look at the number of cases within the United States where a gun has been used for self-defense. Estimates range everywhere from 100,000 uses to over, close to a million uses within the United States. Now, some organizations and some reporters only want to report on the ones where a gun was used and it actually resulted in the death or maiming of the perpetrator. But if you look at the ones where the gun was used and the mere presence of the firearm actually dissuaded a criminal from committing an act of violence, an act of rape, an act of murder, the number shoots up, it skyrockets. So when people on this side talk about the importance of the Second Amendment, please understand it's not just some base philosophical conviction that we all have. It is rooted in the idea that while we may be a post-enlightenment society, the vast majority of horrible atrocities that we've seen have happened in those post-enlightenment societies. It's happened as a result of governments systematically disarming citizens and claiming themselves to be the sole responsible party for their security, and then turning on those same citizens and punishing them. That's the most egregious cases. But in the individual cases of self-defense, that's why the people on this side of the aisle hold the Second Amendment in such high esteem, because we honestly believe that you have an inherent right to defend yourself. And your ability to defend yourself should not be excluded to, to your size. Firearms provide someone that is weaker and not as fast the ability to actually defend themselves from a stronger attacker. So it looks as though we have the possibility of sending someone under the GOP moniker to the Senate who is not only a former Green Beret, but he understands federalism and what people like myself, who understand the role of government, where it should and shouldn't be. And some, but, you know, sometimes we don't, we've done this in the past thinking we sent somebody in and we got a lot of crap, such as the case with Scott Taylor.
Sometimes you go to go after the swamp. Sometimes the swamp goes to go after you. And it looks as though that has happened to Scott Taylor in the second district here in Virginia. I voted for him because he seemed to align himself with Ted Cruz and that wing of the party. But I didn't really see much to go off of. And I'm seeing things now while he's been in office that he would that would kill my support for him. I mean, listen to him at the Global Citizen Conference. Good evening, Global Citizens. It's great to be here with you and an honor to represent Virginia and be there, be here on behalf of them. Stepping up and helping those in need is a fundamental American value. Our leadership is needed on the world stage for strength, stability, and as a beacon of moral responsibility. I have seen firsthand and been inspired by American leadership from the hills of Haiti to the coca fields of Colombia to the sands of Shabwa, Yemen. But our work is not done. Now is not the time to cut foreign aid. Let's make it better. Partnerships must be forged, bureaucracies broken, and aid must be traced, must be monitored and more effective. It is time for us, all of us, to shape and lead this world for the next century and beyond. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless these United States. Yeah, Scott Taylor at the Global Citizen Conference. You gotta really be worried about somebody who's taking pictures with Pharrell Williams. Now, Pharrell's a, a you know celebrity here from the state of Virginia, so I can see why they would have, at some point, done a photo op, but he looks to be uh, co-opting the globalist movement, you know, and he actually put out statements on social media like, oh, George Soros is the boogeyman, isn't he? You know, joking and mocking people that are tired of Soros's influence on America. But his opponent was really interesting to me because I was driving around and I had the Bluetooth on listening to the stuff I listened to and it got kicked off. Sometimes that happens. You get some weird thing happen and your phone gets kicked out and whatever was on kicked on. And it was our local talk radio station. And they were interviewing Mary Jones, who I've been seeing these signs around town, said, Mary Jones, Trump candidate. You know, and I'm going, oh, great, Trump candidate. What are you, co-opting the whole MAGA movement? But when she started being interviewed, she was interviewed by a very libertarian guy. He's not very left, but he's also not GOP. And when he was interviewing him, I started noticing some weird things about the things she was saying. She wanted term limits. She wanted to be involved with putting term limits in. In fact, she said she didn't even want to be there for more than 12 years and that she is not looking to make this a career. She also sided with the, the Freedom Caucus on the omnibus bill. She said she would have supported exactly what the Freedom Caucus did. And I started, my ears started to you know perk up. I'm like, wait a minute, the Trump candidate is talking about Freedom Caucus ideas and aligning herself with Dave Bratt out of Richmond who knocked, uh, what's his name, out of the party uh, leader, um, you know, the GOP uh, House majority leader back in the day. He, she's, she's aligned herself with the Freedom Caucus and only is using the Trump candidate on her advertisement to boost her marketing. And I actually posed this to some people I know online that, who talk politics with me. And guess what? It's not just happening here in Virginia, as it is with Nick Freitas and as it is with, uh, with Mary Jones. It's happening across the country. 
And I'm starting to think that this is a new phenomenon where Freedom Caucus individuals, people that align themselves with the Tea Party, are looking to put themselves under the banner of Trumpism just so that they can move themselves into a position to take on the establishment and then, on doing so, knock the establishment out of the way and change the makeup of Congress. I'm all for that. So if you live here in Virginia, get out to your primaries, especially if you're in the 2nd District, back Mary Jones, based on what I've heard. Also, Nick Freitas. We need good, solid people. And California looks like they're on their way with the governorship. Um, Diane Feinstein won her freaking primary, so you know they don't ever freaking learn. But we need to keep be aware of the stakes. And if you have the primaries coming up, you've got to get out and vote and be a part of the change because it all happens locally and it all rises up from there. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So we've been talking about this new resurgent Tea Party movement. You know, you've got Austin Peterson uh, going up against uh, Claire McCaskill. Austin Peterson, of course, he's a great guy. I talked to him online a few times. Uh, he was the libertarian uh, presidential candidate back during the primaries before Gary Johnson took it. Um, he's in double-digit leads over Claire McCaskill. You know, you've got Nick Freitas here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, also Mary Jones. And these people are being summoned you know, by a movement that seems to have gotten some sort of propulsion under Trumpism. Now, when I'm saying Trumpism, a lot of people take that as the bad parts, but I'm talking about the fact that somebody could come off from the private sector side and step in to make a difference. It was kind of squashed out for the last couple of years, but it looks like it's a new movement that is going on where people that align themselves with the Freedom Caucus are then using Trump as a propulsion mechanism to get their name out in front of the establishment. So we might have a situation where governing is going to be completely different if it works in our favor. But, you know, we've also been talking about how the left isn't making this any easier because everything they touch is acidic. You know, they defile everything we love and enjoy. It's because they're filled with constant rage and hate. Whether it be the NFL, Miss America pageants, or the Boy Scouts of America, anything that stands to enshrine the Norman Rockwell version of America must be defiled. And it's got to be done publicly. It's like a giant bat signal for their side. Hey, look what we did. We placed an ad showing Maryland's gubernatorial candidate, Rich Madaleno, making out with his husband on Fox and Friends in order to piss Trump off. Kudos to us. Never mind the fact that Trump had a homosexual CEO, uh, of PayPal, Peter Thiel, as one of his executive committee members of the presidential transition team. But whatever. We got a, got a narrative to keep here, guys. I mean, come on. And the Talking Points memo headline was, Mwah! Dems hope to piss off Trump with an ad of them kissing and runs it on Fox and Friends. I mean, that's how they operate. It's like ripping off a you know female uh, mu musician's shirt on the most watched entertainment platform of the most watched sporting event of the year. I mean, why not have extremely controversial female musical artists make out with other female uh, controversial music artists on stage in an award show? Maybe have one of them give birth to a golden egg while singing their hit. You know, let's have a boy making out with an adult male in a movie and give it an Oscar. Because screw you, Christian prudes. 
We're going to assault your spaces with our beliefs and lifestyles until you acquiesce, you Christian prudes. <laughs> I mean, we, you have to acquiesce to our demands. And, and that's basically what they do. We have to accept their demands. And if not, you're intolerant, hateful people who worship a sky cloud man. Do it now. Accept our demands. How tolerant of them. And the oddest part of all this is that many of us couldn't care less about some of the things that they actually think make us feel uncomfortable. It's like watching someone perform the most outdated, old, washed-up acrobat trick in order to unsettle us, and we just sit back watching, yawning all along. You know, it's no big deal to us. It's complete boredom. Is that all you got? Please come back when you have something substantial. But they are continually outraged over just about anything. It's why we have Google releasing a new emoji that is more inclusive. Yeah, this is from The Wrap. The tech giant is set to launch a more inclusive salad icon, according to Google's engineer, Jennifer Daniel, who tweeted out a look at the new emoji on, on this past Wednesday, the eggless salad, making the emoji a more inclusive vegan salad, Daniel says. It's one of the more 100 new and updated emojis available for the Android P beta. Quote, there's big talk about inclusion and diversity at Google, so if you need any evidence of Google making this a priority, I direct your attention to the salad emoji. Making the world great and safe again, one emoji at a time. She didn't say that. I threw that in there. But we've removed the egg in our new emoji, making this more inclusive vegan salad. Google and Daniel have not responded to the rap's request for comment on the company's move towards more inclusive emojis. The new genteel Google didn't sit well with tw several Twitter users, including prominent conservative commentator Ben Shapiro. This is how you got Trump, <laughs> Shapiro tweeted while sharing Daniel's tweet. And he's completely correct. Ben's right. Tech companies had to change the gun emoji into a green water gun. And now they got to extract the egg from the salad to appease the rage cuisine Nazis of the vegan coalition. People are tired of the constant barrage of stupidity in the name of inclusiveness. That's why they sent a guy who couldn't care less about demeanor to DC. And we get to watch him pardon tons of controversial dead people po posthumously and watch the media explode. We get to see him meet with their cultural icons and we get to see the media throw temper tantrum and hissy fits. And he's going to continue to do his trolling like he's doing to uh, Justin Trudeau of Canada to the dismay of the media and America sits back. We break open a bag of popcorn, sipping on a soda and we watch him move embassies and cut taxes and widen the ability for veterans to use private health care under the whining of the progressive left in the media's tears. And it's actually been quite the sight to see. And then they continue with these stupid narratives like the LA times, you know, they attribute simple phenomena to ridiculous premises like racism the L.A. Times wrote STDs in an L.A. county are skyrocketing. Officials think racism and stigma may be to blame. I think there's no discernment there. There's no racism. Boning is going on, and I think it's an equal opportunity situation. So that's why you have a rise in STDs. I mean, they continue to bombard us with ridiculous symptoms of a fake phenomenon such as climate change. Heading for the 25-hour day. Days on Earth, this is from Sky News, are getting longer, a team of experts have concluded. As they predict in the future, there will be 25 hours in a day. Over the past 27 centuries, the average day has lengthened at a rate of almost 2 milliseconds per century. However, it will take 6.7 million years to gain that one minute extra per day. 
And we'll have to wait about 200 million years for that extra hour. So this must be a big crisis then, shouldn't it? It's a very slow process, said the uh, study uh, founder, Leslie Morrison. Now, what could be the cause? Here's the kicker. This is what they put at the bottom. The Earth's rotation can be influenced by factors, including its altering shape due to shrinking polar ice caps since the last ice age, electromagnetic interactions between the mantle and the core, and the changes in the sea level. So our global warming melting the you know polar ice caps and raising the sea levels is basically putting us on a track to getting an extra hour in our day, which is complete horse pocky. But, you know... I, it's just an utter amazingly insane how they come up with these ideas. And David Harsani wrote something for the Federalist that I've been seeing for a long time. He was talking about this new uh, carbon engineering method that scientists at Harvard University uh, and also a company called Carbon Engineering, they figured out a low-cost industrial scale method of pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Now, I don't know what the after effects of this are. I don't know if there's consequences to it, but... Needless to say, from what Harsani writes, it sounds like an exciting technology, which, you know, uh, the Atlantic's Robinson Meyer notes will transform how humanity thinks about the problem of climate change. To be fair, though, plenty of humans have argued that innovation rather than widespread uh, state compelled behavior modification or top down economic regimes like the ones on the left has have been proposed for years would eventually lead and deal with the climate change. And that's what I've been saying. I, I love how he goes on further and says, after all that we've been told for a long time, this being a political matter, it's going to be difficult to sell these policies when they can no longer claim the apocalypse is nigh. You know, the earth was on the precipice of disaster. Every year was our last chance to save it. It wasn't enough to merely concede that warming was probably happening, but a person had to adopt whatever pol policy proposals Democrats were pushing. Trade-offs didn't exist in this world. Future innovations didn't exist. Only the apocalypse beckoned. The entire climate change debate has been predicated on the idea that only dramatic intrusions into energy consumption and regulating citizens' contemporary habits, but not only by the wealthy nations, but also the emerging countries whose people were finally benefiting from cheap energy, would stop us from heading towards the abyss. You could be poor, less free, and do almost nothing to change the trajectory of warming. We can't completely... Uh, Certitude about the future, of course, but you are not a techno-utopian to trust that humans typically find ways to adapt. You know, and that's what I've been saying. It's something that uh, Yaron Brook was talking about when he was talking about the possibility of, you know, these uh, universal basic incomes because automation was going to squeeze out jobs from the market. The market will respond. We don't know what we foresee coming down the pike. No one could have predicted the iPhone. No one could have predicted the internet. No one could have predicted. These things were all something of a phenomenon that the market made. And then the market reaction was, well, now we've got more people in IT. We've got more people coding. We've got more people, you know, working in these industries. Ultimately, that's what happens. It doesn't come from a government regulation to stop a phenomenon that doesn't exist. So ultimately, we need to send these new Tea Party renegades that we were talking about to D.C. in order to restore the order of government, to pull back the reins of government and get rid of these regulatory uh, solutions that they think are needed. And it's going to be a little bit easier to do that with the left out there siding with Hamas and siding with uh, MS-13 and destroying the Boy Scouts and Miss America and the NFL. You know, all of that is going to be 
easier with the left destroying themselves, peeing all over American traditions. And all these silly crises, you know, STDs due to racism and, you know, toxic masculinity by your five-year-old, it's all going to be met from a capitalist market reaction. Climate change is going to be fixed by this, if there even is climate change, but it's not going to come from a governmental response. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out my podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, iHeart. You can also get the free Roku channel in your streaming store. Check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also donate. Be a part of uh, the Patreon family. Donate at patreon.com slash adriansladeshow. $2 a month, you'll get exclusives, or you can donate whatever you wish. But, you know, if you'd like to help a brother out, feel free. Until then, we'll see you next time.